Melodic, melodic sounds of these, your children. Thank you for Brother Chibanda and that call to worship, the reminder to surrender all. Father, we come now because we're ready to hear from heaven. Would you breathe on us now? Open our eyes and our ears that we may hear what your spirit has to say to your church. We surrender all. So may your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Order our steps in your word, we pray, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I know you've been standing a long time. And just this once, I'll read it for you. But we will be in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 14. I'm eternally grateful for men who like to lead in worship. Amen. Let's bless God for Deacon Dixon. Amen. Deacon Jameson. Brother Chibanda. Amen. We are a very diverse church with multiple gifts. And you should know this ain't happening everywhere. First Samuel chapter 13, lest I forget, how about them percussions, amen? Deacon Seth, Brother Nichols, amen. Thank you guys so much for your faithfulness each week. First Samuel chapter 13, we are continuing in the Chronicles of Saul. And today we've got a loaded passage. First Samuel 13, verses 1 through 14, we want to talk about today the chronicles of Saul and how fearful disobedience messed up his ministry. How fearful disobedience messed up his ministry. Good to see you, Brother Ruben. Amen. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gebeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. And then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear this. Now all Israel heard it said that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines. Y'all listening? He didn't do that. His son Jonathan did it, right? But he took the credit. Y'all stay in here. And that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. There was 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash, 
to the east of Beth-Avon. Now, when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews even crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. And as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. And all the people following him trembled. And then he waited seven days according to the time that was set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Somebody would say, oh, my God. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and I offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. In other words, you a fool. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom or your ministry over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Because, Saul, you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Chronicles of Saul. How fearful disobedience messed up his ministry. Have you ever been afraid of fear? Has God ever called you to do something for him and fear stopped you from obeying? Fear, family, is a horrible enemy. And it is a major dilemma in the life of the child of God. Fear, Brother Grady, not only affects the non-believer, but it also can cripple the believer. I need y'all to lean in here with me today, all right? Today we're going to examine Saul's life and what happened to his ministry when fear made him make a foolish mistake. 
According to a scholar in my library, Brother Jackson, the new king, Saul, had been in office just two years, and things were going good in the kingdom. Ministry was going well. And the time had come for Israel to gather again at Gilgal to celebrate with Samuel the inauguration of Saul. In other words, there's a buzz in the country. Ministry's been going good. Our first battle went well. And now we're going to celebrate with the preacher in the place of God. However, in the meantime and between time, his son, Jonathan, went down and destroyed one of the enemy's locations that was on the outskirts of Israel. Now, when Jonathan tore up the enemy's base, this became an act of war against the Philistines on behalf of Israel. Tell somebody it was time to fight. So when the word got out, yes, to the enemy's camp that Israel was in the neighborhood, Saul took credit. Y'all know he got braggadocious about what his army had did to the enemy. And look at this. It wasn't even his victory. But he saw it as a time of celebration coming up for the people to look at me and how great I am as y'all's king. Y'all in here now? In other words, uh, uh, he wanted... He, he was motivated by pride to get the glory. At the same time, the vast Philistine army, when they heard what Jonathan had did, now kicked into gear. And the fighting machine moved now from their place into Michmash. And they was 30,000 and some change strong. Can I say some more? Michmash was the place where Saul lived. So while he's bragging at the party that's about to begin, the enemy has moved into striking position. Now the problem here in the background of the text is, is not that Saul couldn't have did something. He was so busy bragging that he went to sleep in the spiritual war. When he could have cut him off at the pass and totally wiped him out, pride made him fall asleep on his ministry assignment. If he would have only struck the enemy immediately, he could have defeated them. But then when he finds out that they're mobilized, instead of him fighting, guess what he does? He gets afraid. Y'all in here? And because of fear, Mason, he delayed. And he gave the enemy time to get stronger. Instead of destroying them. Can I tell you, family? In your spiritual war, don't you know, Marty, you can't delay when the enemy is on the move? 
When you see the enemy trying to destroy your marriage, you can't lay in the cut like ain't nothing going on. When you see the enemy trying to take your kids, trying to wreck your home, you can't lay back like ain't nothing going on. You got to kick into gear and then fight for what you love. I feel like preaching in here today. But because of fear, what, what caused it? The numbers. He saw the numbers of the Philistines. And the numbers created fear in God's man. And as a result, he did nothing. Saul's fearful impatience, Brother Corley, led him to try to run and offer a burnt offering without Samuel. Saul was just the king. He wasn't the prophet and the priest. The king didn't have no biblical authority to offer burnt sacrifices on behalf of the nation. Tell somebody he was out of line spiritually. And when he did this, yeah, he disobeyed the commandment of God. And here's the crux of the matter, and I'm still in the background of my text. The crux of the matter is this. If God couldn't trust him with the little matter of obedience, he couldn't trust him with commanding the kingdom. Somebody looking at me today and you're wondering why your ministry ain't gone nowhere. Maybe God can't trust you. If he can't trust you to obey him in the little things, how you think he going to bless you with being the CEO of a company? With having your own business, with becoming a supervisor on the job, with having a husband or a wife, if you won't obey him in the little things. I'm praying that when we get through this text today, we're going to line our ministries up. Y'all in here with me? Tell your neighbor, neighbor, you need thick shoes for this sermon. Look, because of fearful disobedience, he messed up his ministry. And today we're going to look at three of Saul's problems and compare them to our lives. Ask your neighbor, are you ready? So you're going to help my pastor today? Number one, we're going to look at Saul's problem with pride. And I'm talking to the women and the men. Y'all in here? Number two, we're going to look at Saul's problem with people. And then Saul's problem with positions. Let's open up the text at verse 1. Saul's pride problem. Verse 3, rather. The Bible says, And Jonathan attacked Reverend Brown, the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. And then Saul... He blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, let the Hebrews hear. A friend in my library was very good at geographical and historical accounts, said it would have looked like this. He would have, and one city of Israel would have lit a large mountain on fire. 
the next city would have heard the sound and saw the fire and they would have lit the fire. Y'all seen Lord of the Rings? That's what it would have looked like. That was the summons that we are now in war. So all of the family would have been made aware of what's just happened. Y'all in here now? Verse 4. Now all of Israel heard it. You see that? And they said that Saul, look at that, had attacked a garrison of the Philistines. Not Jonathan, but Saul. And that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people, here it is, were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Can I unpack this? When we arrive at this portion of the text, family, we understand that Jonathan was the one who got the victory over the Philistines' position and possessions. This garrison was not a band of soldiers yet. It was a place where they would run to for battle to get their weapons in order to fight. He destroyed that stronghold so they couldn't have access to Israel. Y'all with me here? In other words, God gave Jonathan victory over the enemy stronghold. Stay with me for just a moment. However, when, yes, Saul, his daddy, gets the news, Saul takes credit for himself and immediately sounds the trumpet informing the people that he just attacked the Philistines instead of his son. See, Saul's pride, yes, didn't want anybody else in Israel to get the credit for fighting on their behalf. That he would even get the news out before his son. He posted it on Facebook before his son. He even got the chance. And when he posted it, it said, hashtag, I just whooped some Philistines. So y'all come on down to Gilgal and let's celebrate. Are you in here now? Notice this. Because of his pride, Reverend Tong, he wanted everyone in Israel to know what he had done, even though he hadn't done anything. He lied to his own people and said that, yeah, and now that y'all have become an abomination to the Philistines too, trying to inflate their egos with pride. His pride as king caused him to lift himself up in the eyes of others. His pride as king failed to recognize who was responsible for leading in the battle. His pride as king, my brothers and sisters, caused him to be blinded and made him believe that he was more important than the people he served. Can I give you some application here? Can you see family where Saul's ministry begins to get off track? Can you see, yeah, where he begins to mislead people and get puffed up in his own ministry? Can, can, can you see, our daughter Sarah, where, where pride can get your ministry in trouble? 
Do you know anybody whose ministry collapsed because of pride? Have you ever been there when you forgot that ministry wasn't always about you? As a supervisor, as a daddy, as a mama, right, as a leader in the community, did you forget that it ain't about you? But it's about the God of heaven and earth who placed you in whatever position you are in today. I pray, I pray that you get it right today. It ain't about you. Have you ever lied about your success in ministry? You know, when you pad the numbers to make you look more bigger than you really are? You know, pastors do that every Monday. Amen. Oh, yeah. How many did you see yesterday, Doc? Oh, I had about a thousand. How'd you do on your anniversary? Oh, they blessed me, Doc. I had 10,000. 10,000 pennies. Have you ever failed to give someone else the credit and took the glory for yourself just like Saul? Y'all going to help me today. Could, could it be, Sister Wilson, that, that pride has caused some of us to think only about ourselves instead of everyone else who the ministry is really all about? It's all messed up. Pride got to him. And this is where his ministry got damaged. Can I park the car and waddle right here? This, this ain't in my nose, but you can trace divorce back to pride. You can church, trace church hopping back to pride. You can trace church splits back to pride. In fact, the reason why most people start ministry ain't because God didn't breathe on you. You think you need to do something that you can lead. And pride becomes the motive for the new ministry the Lord just gave you. Some of us can't serve in the church because we won't let you lead. Not that it ain't nothing, we ain't got nothing for you to do. You just got to lead everything you in. And the truth is, you won't show up to serve unless you lead. Pride. Pride? Can, can I just walk y'all on my... Do you know what got Satan kicked out of heaven? The greatest worship leader there ever was. The most beautiful angel in heaven with all authority, command of all of the archangels. Guess what got him kicked out? Pride. I will ascend. I will be like the most high. Got him kicked out the choir. Got him kicked off the leadership cabinet. Got him kicked out of being the only one to march among the fiery stones. Pride. Was he gifted? Absolutely. That's why he had the position. But he wasn't satisfied in the ministry that God gave him. He wanted God's ministry. 
And he been using that little thing ever since he got kicked out to bother the church from the beginning of time. Pride. Tell somebody pride. Pride will not only get you kicked out of ministry, pride to keep you from doing ministry. I don't like that preacher. I like the other people in the church. But instead of me getting my butt out of here and going somewhere where I can like my preacher, pride going to keep me right here. And I'm going to let him know I ain't happy. And I'm going to let you know I don't care. Until God fix your pride, you're going to stew right in your own stuff. And just like Saul, your ministry going to forever be messed up because of pride. Saul had a pride problem. And Saul's pride problem led to Saul's people problem. Y'all in here? Look at verse 5. The Bible says that then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 of them, 30,000 chariots, and 6,000 horsemen. And there was people as the sand is on the seashore in that army. And the Bible says, it's interesting, and they came up to Michmash to the east of beth If you go back to verses 1, 2, and 3, you see that Saul got himself a couple thousand men, 3,000 men, and he took two and he went and they lived up where he was in Michmash. But when he started celebrating what Jonathan did for his own self, he came down to Gilgal where the temple was. The enemy moved into position right where his home was. And there was a whole lot of them. Y'all in here? Verse 6, Reverend Mason, the text says, And when the men of Israel got to Gilgal and they saw that they were in danger. Y'all see that right there? For the people were distressed. Why were they distressed? Because the enemy Blackburn had moved in. And there was a lot of them. The people did something they hid. Y'all, wish it, y'all in here now? They hid in caves. They hid in thickets. They hid in rocks. They hid in holes. They hid in pits. And some of them even crossed the Jordan. They bailed, y'all, you with me here? To go and live in Gad and Gilead. And as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. And watch this. And the people who came up there to celebrate with him, followed him, they were now trembling. Because guess what? They had nowhere to go. Every hole was taken. Every cave was filled. Every pit had somebody in it. All the rocks had visitors. The enemy has surrounded them. Are you in here now? Let's look at his problem then. 
The text says when we arrive at this portion of the text, rather, we see where Saul's prior problem leads him to the next problem. Saul discovers that the enemies have heard about his boasting and about the attack on the garrison, which would have been where their supplies and resources were for the next attack. And now they've mobilized in 30,000 plus troops to position themselves in battle. Not only did they position themselves, but they began to invade the place where Saul lived. So they came up, as I told you, to Michmash. <laughs> and the people who were following Saul, Israel, uh, uh, now begins to desert him. And here's where we see Saul's people problem. His problem now was the people who were following as him as king, the people who have believed his report, has suddenly bailed on him. When they saw the enemy, they began to run and hide from the one they swore allegiance to. When they saw the enemy, they began to flee from the country, leave their fighting post, and forsake their king. Saul now got a problem in ministry. He ain't got nobody to lead. Y'all in here now? Because of pride. He, he, he can't pretend in front of the people to be one thing and in reality be something else. He was just boasting about how bad he was and the garrison he took out. And now he running, hiding. Are you with me here? Look, look, Saul found out, man, that people will leave you when the enemy show up like a flood. Saul sees that his popularity means nothing with the people when their lives are on the line. Saul sees now who is really in his corner when trouble rises. Look, look, Law, I've done this long enough now and in three different cities to know as long as things were quiet and he was bragging about himself and bragging about them, they was on his side. But when the enemy showed up and it was time to engage in the battle, Saul had nobody. He could count on. You better lean in here. I'm trying to help you. Sometime in ministry, people are going to be your problem. The very ones on that job, Tom, you called to supervise. You called to watch out for them, to pray for them. When it get tough, they're going to get moving. You need to know that, family, as you are engaged in ministry when you leave here. All of you are engaged in ministry. Look around this room. Look around this room. Look around. Don't look at me. Look around this room. Everybody in here has got a ministry. And your ministry is always about leading people. But you need to know that if pride seeps into your ministry, it's going to affect the people you've been called to minister to. And people will lead you. Or rather, they will leave you, Sister Cheryl. Let me ask you a hard question here. I need y'all to be perfectly honest with me. Y'all, can y'all do that? Yes. Have you ever had a people problem? Yes. Have you ever had a problem where you thought you could rely on somebody only to find out they'll leave you? Brother no, no, no. Mel, when trouble comes? No. Have you ever been left in the midst of the battle? By somebody who said, I'm with you, Reverend. Yes, sir. 
till the wheels fall off dock. I'm your boy. I got your back. We can do this. You know, all that stuff. As soon as you can't pay the rent, they ain't coming back. Have you ever been left in the midst of a battle by a loved one? Spouse stood at the altar with you. Said it's till death do we part. Then when you got a little round in the midsection, the shingles fell off the roof. They find some young stud who just come walking through the gym. Perhaps you get some disease or, 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 or a battle that you wasn't encountering and now they don't want to be with you because you're sick and you can't perform like you used to. Perhaps they didn't got too old and they can't do what they used to do and so the kids just bell out on them. People will leave you in this battle. Somebody you loved and thought would never forsake you, abandon you because the enemy closed in on you. Saul had that problem. But he also had another problem, as I mentioned. He first was led by pride. <coughs> and then pride, yes. The pride problem was followed by the people problem. And now his problems are exacerbated. Leaving him with the thought that he's all alone. His army ain't there. The people that was blessing him ain't there. He was a king, but he ain't had no subjects. Because the Philistines were in the neighborhood. If you're listening with me, and I hope I'm not boring you to death, Saul's pride problem led to his people problem. Saul's people problem now leads to his positional problem. Here's point three, and I'll leave you alone. Verse eight says that then. Oh, whenever you run across one of those words like that in the text, stop. Because it's getting ready to open the door for you to see a bad situation. After all that I just explained to you happened then. He waited, the Bible said, seven days. According to the time that was set by Samuel. Now, Samuel told him in 1 Samuel chapter 10 verse 8 that this time in Gilgal was coming. And he was going to wait for him seven days there and then Samuel would show up, bless him, and tell him what he was to do. In the meantime and between time, between the blessing of God, the war broke out. Fear kicked in. Pride kicked in. People have bailed. But he still got this appointment with God. Y'all in here? So he's waiting for the seven days and for the prophet and the priest to show up and offer the sacrifice. And then the text says in part B of verse 8, and the people scattered from him. So, verse 9, so Saul, being a burnt, bring, said, bring me a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering, verse 10. Now it happened as soon as he had finished, 
presenting the burnt offering. Notice he hadn't got to the peace offering yet, right? Samuel came up and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. Let's unpack it. When we arrive at this portion of the text, Saul, yes, is about to develop his new problem. His positional problem. And here it is. His positional problem is this. He sees himself losing position with the people, losing position with the prophet Samuel, losing position with God, and so he acts out of fear and disobedience in his pride and does what God has commanded him not to do. I'm pouring it all out here. I hope you see it, y'all. Look, look, here's what happened. He's in a season of strange perceptions. And his strange perceptions make him now act disobediently. Thank you, Sister Tate. Listen, he, he, what he perceives to be the problem ain't the problem. God already prof prophesied to him he would be victorious. But he took his eyes off of God and put it on his circumstances. And his circumstances made him perceive that something else was wrong. And in his perceptions, he messed up his own ministry. I can't make it no plainer than that. Can I say some more? Thank you, Mama Ross. In spite of everything that was going on, here, here, the Holy Spirit whispered this in my ear, Brother Johnny. He said, Wilson, notice something. In spite of everything that was going on in Saul's life, before Brother David, he asked for the burnt offering. He had not failed to obey God. Right up to that point, he was still in the will of God. He was prideful and arrogant, yeah, but he hadn't disobeyed the command. Y'all in here? It's not until verse 9 where he says, bring me the burnt offering. And he offers it. Then now he broke the command of God. But up to that point, he was all right. He had some doubts. He had some fear. Just like you and us. You and me, right? Come on, quit acting like y'all don't get scared. Quit acting like you don't have no doubts. God, you going to come through or not? Come on, stay human and stay in the body. It's normal what he's going through. But he has not yet broken the commandment of God. It's not until his perceptions, Mason, get the best of him that he acts now on fearful disobedience and in pride says, I don't need the prophet. I don't need the priest. I don't need the people. Bring me the burnt offering. Say some more. Have you ever been there? You know, right up to that point where you on the edge, but you don't disobey God. You feeling it. You got some questions, but you're going to stay there as long as you can. 
You may have made some dumb mistakes. You may have gotten a little prideful and boasted about some stuff, but you ain't broke the command of God. Saul does this, but here's what we can learn from him. He doesn't retreat back to what he knows is truth. He could have said, I'm fearful. I was wrong for trying to take the credit, but I'm going to wait on God to fix this mess I'm in. He could have did that, but instead, pride kicked in. Pride said, I don't need nobody. I'm Saul, king of Israel. Y'all run. Who is, who is Samuel? Seven days, the preacher late. I don't need no preacher. I'm the king. I can offer my own burnt offerings. Y'all in here now? And when he does that, he disobeys the command of the Lord. And he does this because of his fear, watch this now, of losing his position. He does this because of his fear of losing people. He does this because, Drisha, he has a fear of losing his power. You can trace back every ministry fall from every pastor or great person in ministry to pride. And to the pride of losing their people, losing their power, and losing their position. And when they get there, they start doing ungodly things in sacred spaces. When you try to supersede the sovereignty of God to make yourself be like God, you got a ministry problem. And you got calamity that's on the way. Well, I got so much in here. Just go to the website and get the notes. I got to hump it off. But I want you to know Saul wasn't qualified to do the offering, Sean. He was qualified to lead battles, but he wasn't qualified to offer what was holy to God. And besides that, when he gave the burnt offering, Brown, you'll find this interesting. He didn't give it as an act of worship. He gave it as an act of defiance. Samuel ain't here. I don't need Samuel. I can give my own offering to God. Are y'all in here? Not only did he, yes, given as an act of defiance, but he gave an offering to Yahweh as a good luck charm. Can I say some more? I just need a little help in this next battle. You know, like some of y'all, you give your offering so you can get a good interview this week. You came to church because you needed to get that offering in order to get that man you've been eyeing. You, you came to church this week because you got court on Wednesday.
You, you, you came because she about to leave you if you don't get your lazy butt up and act like you like God. Or you came because it's your day to shine. It was pride that even led him to do the burnt offering. Y'all in here now? He didn't worship God. He was offering somebody who was really worshiping himself. Can I tell you that pride is always about you? It's always about how good you look, how great your name is, how big your business has become, how prosperous your family has become. Tell your neighbor, you got to watch pride, man. You got to watch pride. I like the text because the text says that when Samuel showed up, Samuel said to him, man, what have you done? Y'all catch that? Isn't that powerful? What a rebuke. He told him in verse chapter 10, verse 8, You shall go down before me to Gilgal, Saul, and I will come to you and offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days, somebody say seven days. days. You got to wait on me, Saul, till I come to you. And I will show you what you should do. The next thing we see in Saul's fall is he got impatient. You should write that word somewhere because that's a loaded word. Half the mistakes I done made in my 51 years have been because I couldn't wait. I know y'all can't say amen. Some of y'all can't say amen. You sit next to a decision because you couldn't wait. You got kids from a situation because you have the scars on your anatomy came because you couldn't wait. Impatience will jack you up and leave you with a situation that you have for the rest of your life. It's quiet and a whole lot of patches in the house. If you can't say amen, just throw your hand at me like that. That's another sign for leave me alone, Reverend. Leave me alone. Get out of my business, amen. <laughs> Shoot. Sister Wilson, I hope I wasn't I can't wait problem. I hope I Okay, all right. Amen. The cold thing about this word that Samuel speaks to Saul, Brother Nellum, the cold thing about it is that Saul was aware. It would have been different if he had never got those instructions. But the fact that he was aware meant that he chose to defy the word of the Lord, the command of God. 
See, that's always the cold thing about disobedience. You, 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 you can't disobey something you have not been warned about. But God always warns you before he disciplines you. Y'all in here? Brother McDove, he was disobedient because he knew he wasn't supposed to do this. So in summation of my lecture today, Samuel shows up in Gilgal, verse 13 and 14. He gives him the rebuke, verse 13. And then he tells him, God would have established your kingdom for all of Israel. But because you broke the command of the Lord. Watch this. This is what's cold and fair. But this is what's cold. Fairly cold, okay? <laughs> God has taken the kingdom from you. And he's given it to a man whose heart is after God. Can I say some more? It's not that God didn't warn him because he did. But what happens in the consequences is that God recognizes he can't even trust Saul. He got to take his ministry and give it to somebody who going to mess up too. Y'all in here. I'm getting the second Samuel where we're going to be doing the Chronicles of David. And David blows it big time. But you know the difference between David and Saul? David blows it with his heart for the Lord. Somebody missed me. He blows it, but he loves God. And so God can trust him. Sam, Saul blows it because his heart ain't for God. His heart has always been for Saul. And God can't trust the one who don't have his heart or his agenda. That's the difference. You gonna make some mistakes because you ain't perfect. But if your heart is for God, he can fix it when you mess it up. But if your heart ain't for God. He ain't gonna even try to fix it. He just gonna take what he had for you and give it to somebody else. I was gonna say that's why somebody else got your man. That's why somebody else got your wife. Somebody else got your job. Somebody else got your ministry. Because he couldn't trust you. You're too much like Saul. Don't make it up. 
I'm going to stop looking at this section over here. They, be, they make me use the bleeping reel over there. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad that the Bible says these stories were written for our learning. That's why they're in here. Saul is warned here that God is doing something new. And he's not included in the ministry of leading Israel anymore. I was closing my text for the evening, Pastor Bruce, and the words... Samuel, one word in particularly arrested me. He said, Saul, you have done foolishly. Listen to this. The word here in its context does not indicate a lack of intelligence. He wasn't stupid, as we would say. But what he had was a lack of moral and spiritual insight. Why is this? He had a lack of moral and spiritual insight, Dad, because his flesh was out of control. And he couldn't see the necessity in obeying the things of God even though he knew the command of God. Can y'all come in a little closer? The word also implies, Sister Staley, that the foolish person is impetuous. What do you mean, Pastor? He or she always tend to lean toward rebellion against God. And they always insist on having or doing things their own way. Even after they've received the command of God. Their behavior is so impetuous that they're going to do what they want to do anyway. Can, can, can I parent right here for a little bit? This is why parents, when you have a strong-willed child, you better break that while they're under your care. Because if they, if they are foolish by nature, they will have a life where they grow up leaning toward rebellion. And then they will come to the place or stage and age where they ain't going to listen to you or the police. Proverbs tell you to train them up. And that means sometimes you got to break them. Well, their nature is foolish. Now, I don't mean kill them. I mean discipline them and teach them. This is not holy behavior unto God. Am I making sense? Something we don't see about Saul is that he had this nature. To always being bent toward it being about him 
and doing what he wanted to do in spite of what the command of God said. I wrote myself a note, Brother David. What a noun the word fool is. What a noun to describe a king. What a noun to describe the child of God. What a noun, Greer, to describe a person that, that know better or knew better. What a way to end the ministry as a king. What a way to end your ministry as a fool. What an ugly issue to have stored up in your heart. Imagine that all the nights you prayed, all the sermons you preached, all the people you visited, all the help, people you helped, and then you crash and burn and people look at you as a fool because you was impetuous. For God to give Samuel these words and call him a fool, I think it's one of the saddest things I've heard in ministry, in the Bible. Why? Because the creator of all creation, Yahweh himself, didn't create you as a fool, but your fallen nature bent you foolishly. And he warned you by giving you the command. And yet, of people flock into churches like these. They hear the word of the Lord. They hear the warning and the rebuke of God. They hear the praises and the worship and the exaltation of God. And then they ride out into the parking lot and pick up with their foolish lives. Somebody looking at me right now. I don't care if you're mad. You're going to leave here and commence to being foolish. What do I mean by that? Doing what you know God has warned you not to do. And therefore, as I said on two weeks ago, the consequences are yours. Don't cry to me. I'm going to come when you call, but just know you got what you bargained for. I didn't plan to land the plane this way, but since we got a little turbulence, let me bring it on down. I stumbled across a story in my library that I thought was very, very timely. A great writer once said that the ostrich, the beautiful and magnificent bird that it is, has no mechanisms other than running to defend itself from prey. So when he or she, the ostrich, is hunted, it foolishly stops and buries its head in the dirt, hoping that the enemy will not see him like it doesn't see the enemy. In all of her beauty and splendor, she forgets that her body is exposed 
to the enemy that wants to destroy it. And unfortunately, some Christians are just like the ostrich. God warns you of the enemy that wants to ravage your life. But instead of fleeing from him, using the resource he gave you, you just try to bury your head. As if you don't see the trouble, the trouble don't see you. Can I end the sermon by telling you? Saul was a very foolish king. And like the ostrich, he did something foolish to try to get help to deal with his enemy. Saul ended up losing his ministry because he failed to listen to the command of God. Saul. I closed my Bible. Sister McDuff and leaned back in that little raggedy chair I got at home. I said, how do I get to Calvary from here? Y'all know that's my goal every week, right? And I leaned back and I asked lots of questions and it was getting late and late. I was waiting and waiting and the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books I have were not talking. And finally, I heard a little small voice say, do you remember Peter? I said, yeah. Didn't he have a great ministry? Yeah. Right up until Golgotha, where his pride kicked in. And Peter, in his pride, decided, I know better than you know, Jesus. Jesus told him, now, Peter, you're going to deny me when the enemy come in on you like a flood. Peter said, not me. Maybe these other 11 fellas. But pride made him, yes, feel like, I got this, Jesus. I don't have to obey your command. Y'all know the story. Jesus had been whipped all night long. Dragged from kangaroo court to kangaroo court. The other ten brothers had ran and forsook him. But there was Peter. Watching his savior. Being whipped. And abused. And no man gave him a hand. Peter. The leader, the warrior, got fearful. His pride is leaving him now. Somebody jams him up. I know you. You, you were with Jesus. And he said, no, no, no. I don't, I don't know the man. Somebody else said, oh, yeah, I know you. It's your speech. Your speech betrays you. No, no, I don't know the man. Third person said, oh, yeah, I seen you with him. And Peter started cussing. I don't know the blankety-blank man. And then the rooster crowed. Are you with me here? The rooster became Samuel to Saul. And Peter knew 
he had broke the command of the Lord. The Bible says that Jesus turned, David, and looked at him. And he ran out and wept bitterly. I got to leave you now. But as I close, they carried my Savior all the way upside the hill called Golgotha. And out on the old rugged cross, they stretched him high and they dropped him low. He died for Peter, y'all, outside of the city. They took his body down, placed him in another man's tomb. And early Sunday morning, the Bible says that he got up with all power of heaven and earth. says that Jesus told Mary, go tell Peter. Y'all catch that right there? And all of my other sons to meet me in Galilee. Now what's the difference between Peter and Saul? Peter had a heart that was for Jesus. And even though he messed up, God still had room for him in the ministry. Hey, that felt good right there. And I'm a lot like Peter, y'all. I don't always get it right. As your pastor, I'm sometimes up and sometimes down. But I found out if I just wait long enough, God will show up and beckon for me to come to the meeting in an upper room. I got to leave you now. But who am I talking to today? Where's my souls at this morning? Where's my Peter's at this morning? If you messed up in your ministry, don't get discouraged. Don't throw in the towel. Just hang on a little while longer. If you messed up this morning and you feel like God can't use you no more, check your heart and see today Whose side you're on. And if you are on the Lord's side, then everything is going to be all right. Hey, can I help myself right here? I heard the master say, come on to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light yes sir if you're here today and you feel like you can't go on then i stop by to tell you you're in good company samuel couldn't go on uh, Samson couldn't go on but God showed up in the 11th hour and gave him power to whoop the enemy am I right right there
the Hebrew boys couldn't go on. They were thrown in a fiery furnace. But God showed up and quenched the heat of the situation. John the Baptist couldn't go on. But God showed up and encouraged him in the midst of his trial. Hang on a little while longer. And everything, I said everything. It's going to be all right. Can I call roll? Don't quit on your marriage. Hang on. It's going to be all right. Don't give up on your babies. Hang on. It's going to be all right. Don't give up on the healing of the Lord. Hang on. It's going to be all right. You can walk right. You can talk right. You can praise him right, but you got to hang on, hang on, hang on. Can you encourage somebody? Shake somebody's hand. Tell them, hang on, neighbor. It's going to be all right. Tell them, hallelujah. I tried him, and he's all right. He's all right. Ain't he all right? Is he all right? Say yeah. yeah. Say yeah. yeah. Say yeah. yeah. Has he ever come through for you? Has he ever let you down? Won't he come through? Won't he make a way out of no way? I know he's all right. I know he's all right. I know he's all right. <laughs> Fed me when I was hungry. Clothed me when I was naked. Hook me up when there wasn't no hookup. I know he's all right. If you know he's all right, high five somebody. Tell him I tried him, neighbor. And he's all right. Say yeah. Say yeah. Say yeah. Give the Lord some praise in his own house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm glad God didn't write me off. I'm so glad I got a heart that loves the Lord. Are you listening here? I know I ain't the man I want to be. I ain't the man I used to be. But the man I currently am, even in my mess ups, I still love the Lord. And I'm trying my best to love him more every day. And that's the difference between Saul and David and Saul and Peter. It's a heart difference. My question today before Pastor Bruce comes is, what's your heart like today? What's your heart like in the midst of, of it all? The difficulty. What's your heart like? Do you love him? Do you have need of him? If you don't, the song says that falling in love with Jesus is the best thing you could ever do. Falling in love with Jesus makes all the difference in the world.
The deacons are coming. Come on, brothers, and lead us in this song. Would you stand and worship with me?